It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Recording started. Good. Good evening, everyone. Can you all hear me? Yes. Good. Amazingly. Episode number 333 of the Library Training Podcast, T is for Training. My name is Maurice Coleman. You can find T is for Training on the World Wide Web at T is for Training.wordpress.com. You can find me to hire my ass at ColemanAssociates.net to do good stuff for you. And uh, teaser training this evening is brought to you by the letter B, the letter S, and Alayship, how people show that just because you share different skin colors, you can still be allies. I'm referring to the crap that's going on in Tennessee I just came upstairs from. The fact that two young men were expelled from the Tennessee uh, legislature a few moments ago and the three people that were accused of poor decorum, two of them were expelled. The one that was not was the only white person, but she only survived by one vote. So it's a whole uh, mess of BS down in Tennessee. So my friends in Tennessee, I say we are here supporting you. We're with you, etc. And yeah, that's where my head is at. I, I'm, it's, it's like we take two steps forwards and two centuries back in this damn country. And I'm sick of it. So there we go. So let's introduce our panel after that wonderful introduction. I'm not cranky at all tonight. Uh, and let us, we're going to go from west to east. So we're going to start in the Pacific Northwest with Diane Huckabee. Hi, I'm Diane Huckabee. <laughs> Um, I'm with the Washington State Genealogical Society and the Washington Library Association, and I'm glad to be here. All right. And then we're going to go a little further south to San Francisco, California. Thank you, Maurice. Paul Signorelli, writer, trainer, presenter, and consultant, blogging at buildingcreativebridges.wordpress.com and trying to keep myself off the streets by staying busy. All right. And then we also have our good friend in Houston, Tom Hames, who is faceless tonight. I guess. Faceless? What do you think about it? I can't I only see a TH, so you know, I don't you must, see anything. Yeah, it's talk Weird. talk shoes having fun with us tonight, Tom. So you're faceless right now. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. I'm sorry, I can who see are everybody you? fine. Well, you may it may not be me, actually. So anything I say tonight can be uh, plausibly denied. <clears throat> so that uh, time with you, Tom. That's pretty much normal. <laughs> um, that's really strange. And okay, um, Tom Hames, uh, consultant, writer, uh, teacher, author of Designing Digital Humanity and Learn at Your Own Risk. And uh, my ass is in hock, if that's when you want to, what my ass is worth. <laughs> Maurice. <laughs> my ass 
Glass is in Hawk. All right, that well, is an excellent Star Trek already, show titling. We haven't even gotten through introductions, <laughs> and we already have the name of the show. And I asked, is it Hawk? All right. And last, but certainly not least, is Jill Hurst-Wall from Syracuse, New York. So Maurice has already said my name and where I'm located. Uh, I think relevant to Maurice's introduction tonight is yeah. I'm the incoming executive director of an organization, a nonprofit that focuses on helping organizations be organizations be anti-racist, and that's Wider Hand Wider Stand Consulting. Sorry, you you have Maurice, you've messed with my head. Words will not come out correctly. Um, <laughs> You know, Jill, usually when you say someone's name, it makes them appear. We've had the opposite effect. He said your name, and all of a sudden, words have fled. Words have fled. So, um, Widerstand Consulting, which is an organization with people across the country who do anti-racism work. Some have actually been doing this type of work for decades, and it sounds like the um, Tennessee legislature could use us. Oh, Do you have representatives in t in uh, Nashville? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have to think about that. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, they could really use they, they could use your help. They, they could use your help. Yeah, my yeah my ass isn't. Yeah, I love that. Tom. My ass isn't. All right. So Paul, in your role as you know, telling us what the hell we're talking about. What the hell are we talking about today? Conferences, Maurice. Rumor has it you went to libraries. Uh, computers and libraries. Rumor has it that Tom was at the recent Shaping EDU conference. Rumor has it I was at a journalism conference here in San Francisco. And so I thought, why don't we just talk about conferences and what we bring back to our learners with what we pick up. So why don't you tell us, Maurice, as host of the show, what you experienced at uh, computers and libraries. Chat GPT, Chat GPT, Chat GPT, <laughs> Chat GPT. Did I mention Chat GPT? Because I'm mentioning more about Chat GPT. Chat GPT is everywhere because Chat GPT is everything. Did I mention Chat GPT? Chat GPT, Chat GPT, Chat GPT. Is that AI? A, Chat is GPT, that? Chat GPT, Chat GPT, Chat GPT, AI, Chat GPT. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, it's messing up libraries. Oh God, oh God, oh God, it's really gonna mess us up. Oh God, oh God, oh God, how are we gonna save our profession? Oh God, oh God, oh God, chat GPT, chat GPT. That was in two days of a four-day conference. That was that's what it was. Literally every single thing that had tangentially you know, to do with chat GPT. Women should not travel on uh, railways because traveling women traveling over the 35 miles an hour will make them sterile. That's an actual quote from 1835. So that's the same sort of techno panic, yes. as Jeff Jarvis likes to put it, that people are going on to with ChatGPT right now, is that, oh, my God, we don't understand this technology, so it's going to kill us. You know, okay, so it's not even understanding technology. And I, I, folks, I, I really, I, those who are listening out there, that is only somewhat sarcastic about what the conversations were. But I have secondhand, issue, I, have, I have another source that agrees with you on that one. Uh, it, it is, <laughs> it's, folks, it's another friggin' tool. It's a thing. It's not going to kill libraries. Do we not remember that the compact disc was going to kill libraries? Do not remember that the internet was going to kill libraries? Do not remember that everything was going to kill libraries? Libraries are not about the housing information, they're about finding stuff and organizing stuff, whatever that stuff happens to be. ChatGPT is just another tool. It's a thing. 
it would be nice if, I don't know, uh, there was more transparency with it. That was a big thing. And, you know, and somewhat sarcastic. It was really about the transparency of chat GPT because no one knows how it really works, which is okay-ish, but it keeps your information, which is not good. Where is it scraping from? There's no references. How does it do what it does? And that makes, you know, that should make, in terms of information analysts and architects, really freaking scared. It's like, what the hell are you doing with this information? Oh, and by the way, wait, 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 wait. We don't own our information once we load it in there? No, 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 no. No, 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 that does not work. Uh-uh, does not work. So that was really the serious things. It was about the impact, the sudden impact of chat GPT. Just, it, it like blew up in our face. You know, like stay puffed in, in Ghostbusters everywhere. It was just on every single thing, everything you looked at, there was, it was everywhere. Um, but I think it, you know, I, I, I went to the conference and then at my day job, someone said, oh boy, this would be a really good webinar to go to. It's all about chat GPT. And I swear my head almost exploded. I was like, you know, no, I have literally been for two straight days talking about chat GBT and its impact. And I ain't having any of it anymore. Would this be a good time to plug the session that we're going to be doing through at MOOC number two, two weeks from now, chat GPT and lifelong learning? Just Why? You might want to do that. Please, Paul. <laughs> yeah, for those of you that are listening in almost real time, the educational technology and media massive open online course is back 10 years later with a second MOOC. This one is going to be an artificial intelligence. Alec Koros is going to be leading the introductory session two weeks from now, which I believe, or one week from now, one April week. 12th. And if you want to sign up for it, just look for EtMOOC online, E-T-M-O-O-C. Registration's there, and I'm sure Jill will be sweet enough to put a link to it. Uh, Jill's shaking her head. She's not going to be sweet enough to put a prompt in it's there. All in the e it's in the email, Jill. <laughs> yeah, so contact Jill <laughs> her wall via email to get the link because she just so, loves answering questions about chat gpt chat gpt right. it really it, what chat gpt is doing is it is the gateway drug for people to hear about artificial intelligence you can have a conversation now because more people in our profession and others the general what's chat gpt well here's chat gpt john oliver has a whole thing about ai and its influence etc Start to chat GPT, but there are others. Uh, there's some great things that it's great for, for textual text text analysis. It is great at text analysis. You can take a whole bunch of text, analyze it, and then spit it out. But it can do some textual analysis. The issue with it, that particular product is, again, I load my stuff into it. I don't own it anymore, have any rights to it. There needs to be some sort of open thing that, it would be great for a legal document, legal, you know, mining. You know, it'd be a great resource for, for lawyers. Hey, here are all these things in Jessica.com, which is the house of all the Supreme Court legislation and, and different verdicts and all of the supporting arguments and dissents and do textual analysis of it. Here, I'm looking for something that pulls these things together within, say, 20 words of each other. Here are the various things. Here's a citation for it. You know all this, all this stuff. You can't, you can't, you cannot, you cannot 
You cannot analyze what doesn't exist. You have to remember that. So it has to exist first. Anyway, that's really what the con that most and th these are just the sessions and the keynotes and con conversations I had with multiple people there at computers and libraries. Overall, it was a great conference. It was great to be back in person again, which was nice. And realizing that there is value, of course, to the in-person experience. But the next conference that is very is the, the, the cousin conference to an internet librarian because of ancillary issues is online. Internet librarian will not be in Monterey this year. It's going to be a virtual conference. So, you know, there is still that stuff. There's still vacillating between those things in terms of conferences. But it was nice to have that synergy. God, I hate that word. But it was nice to be have people live in the same room, at least in my case, breathing through masks, and being able to talk to someone face-to-face -face and have those random conversations with people that lead to really cool things. Maurice, this is off topic uh, by, uh, by a, a little bit, but while you were at Computers and Libraries, it was the anniversary of Reagan being shot at the other computer and library location. Oh, there we go. Washington Hilton, and so. Right, yeah. it, it, it's, and, and you know, frankly, that hotel came up a couple of times because people were, because people, some people hadn't been to Computers and Libraries since it was there. This is the first return to Crystal City. So the Computers and Libraries conference was a Crystal City for many years. The hotel said, eh, we're gonna renovate. So it went to Washington in the Hilton for like five or six years. What started in the Hilton? I remember. You remember that I remember I my experience is only 15 years at computers yeah. and libraries. It was first it was in Crystal City, but it bounced back and forth, but everyone called it the Hinkley Hilton. Like, so why are we the Hinkley Hiltons? Like we'd rather be at the Hinkley Hilton because it was closer to stuff, even though they really try-ish at the Hyatt. It's just it, yeah, it, the Hinkley Hilton was just better for being able to do walk out of the building and eat. Anyway, I'm sorry to dominate the conversation but or it's get shot at. everywhere yeah or it's well you know hey you know if someone's protected by a secret so can get shot you know a, a, a good guy with the gun ain't gonna help a kid in the school you know seriously I oh, don't, that, don't even get me don't even don't even get me started on that anyway <laughs> i've gone completely off topic and off the rails that's okay it's my podcast and that's what conferences are about is moving things between different points. And when you have people live in a room, there's an energy that's really hard to replicate in the virtual space. You can do it, but it takes a hell of a lot of work, a hell of a lot of work to do. I think the real question behind this, Maurice, what will you bring back to your learners as a result of having had all these GPT conversations and whatever else you talked about? We need to make Make sure to ensure that no matter what systems we use, that they're open and that people have that keep their rights to their own work, that they're accessible. Um, I, for example, I had a conversation sort of sidetracked about digital right, digital lending. And a friend said, yeah, my library spends $21,000 on, you know, on my per week on a collection of, of electronic books. I said, not really. You're not spending on books. You don't get a damn book. What you do is you get a license that can be yanked from you at any time. You don't actually own the thing that you're buying. So it's really not purchasing. It's not buying the collection. It's actually rental. 
it's really just a, a blockbuster on steroids. You know, a blockbuster that holds you hostage, literally holds you hostage on steroids. And the scary thing is that the same thing is true with Apple Music and Kindle. Right. And that and is it's what the they always conversation. wanted. That's a bigger yeah. conversation about digital content, which you know, chat GPT and all these other things are, is who owns it, who has access to it, who control who are the gatekeepers of that content. You know, the folks at OpenAI that are chat GPT can shut off access at any time they want and keep all your shit. So who owns it? Who has access to it? Well, the the nice the nice thing about AIs as compared to what we have traditionally had to encounter with algorithms is that it's actually easier in my mind at least to pick apart an AI than it is to understand why Google sends you the links that it does when you put in a search term, for instance, just to cite one example. Right. Because um, it, it's it the the amount of data that you get, um, the the follow up questions you can ask. Because if you start treating it like it's a human, and and interrogating it, um, what it says and what it doesn't say is very Ill- illustrative of what the guts are like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's that's actually a very that's something that AI has that are more primitive AIs that are, we call algorithms uh, are, unless you happen to know the code and, and know the formulas right. that are more primitive AIs are much harder to parse. How, however, in both cases, you need a fairly high level of skill to work your way through this stuff. Um, but at the same time, you also need a high level of skill to read a text from 1860 and understand the algorithm behind that and what was going through that author's head and where that person happened to be living and all of those sorts of things. Um, yeah, actually, apparently Turnitin is actually uh, um, working on an AI tool, uh, which probably using AI to figure out the AI tool to catch GBT. <sighs> It's it's like having they're like little right. little AI cops. Well, okay, I, I, pull it over. I actually wrote pull about this. You're using ChatGPT. Come on. Yeah, I actually wrote about this a few weeks ago. the The whole industry that sprung up after the I mean, this is the same damn thing as Web 2.0. Yeah. The thing with Web Web 2.0 is suddenly everybody could create their own content and share it, and now all of a sudden, I mean, now that's where you got the quote unquote paper mills and test banks and all the other quote unquote cheating technologies that led to ch- uh, turn it in and other, other anti cheating software. But those um, things but were around way it before doesn't work. the web. And it also says something very deeply disturbing about how we assess people uh, and uh, how easy it is. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Air quotes. <laughs> um, but we, you know, ChatGPT is going to demolish that, or not ChatGPT, but AI is going to demolish that right. over time. It's 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 like it's like you're living in a castle, and someone has invented artillery. Uh, it's not going to last very long. 
eventually right. those walls are going to come down and you can build them higher, thicker and stronger, but it's still, there is no such thing as an in, invulnerable uh, right. castle. So, so, Somebody's going to build a bigger gun, build which means that you need to rethink your strategy for how you approach what you're doing. You know, if you're building walls around your knowledge, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. Right. I mean, think about right. that. That's like the opposite of libraries. I mean, I guess you need walls in a library to keep the books dry, but <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, I mean, the whole point behind a library is that it, it doesn't have walls. It is it is open to the world. Uh, and, um, you know, anyway, I wrote a blog about that a few weeks ago. I will, uh, I will right, be happy so to share. But, now that we, we, uh, we've hijacked and tangented, uh, more about, so applying stuff at a conference, uh, I Paul. think, Paul, well, actually, you had you had a conference literally in your backyard. I really did. Yeah, yeah I can't hear what's going on. The party's there. Bring your own beer. Yeah, I was lucky enough to um, run into the Associated Collegiate Press Conference here about a month and a half ago. Did a couple of presentations. The real exciting thing for me was it put me in an entirely different venue than the kind of conferences that we've all been talking about for so long with libraries and with educational organizations. This literally was working with the college reporters all over the country and the advisors who work with them. It was a lovely experience. I walked into a couple sessions, not realizing where people were from. And one of the first was a session very much close to my own heart because of the work I'm doing with students at the UCLA newspaper, which was a session on what are employers looking for from students who want to break into the news business, either through paid jobs or internships. Mm -hmm. Person turned out to be the, the advisor and the professor of journalism here at San Francisco State University, did a knockout presentation. Not only did I get a good look at what the employers were saying to the potential employees, but I was thinking about our own students who could not be there for that conference. Mm -hmm. Answering my own question, one of the things that happened was, of course, I went up to her afterwards, said, could we redo this session via Zoom for the students at UCLA? She said, yes. We just pulled that session off a couple nights ago. Nice. So for me, you know, one of the great things at conferences is what you've kind of alluded to, Maurice, and I know Tom will probably talk about this when we get to Shaping EDU. But one of the nice things is just these encounters with people that sometimes are literally in your own backyard, but you wouldn't see them if you weren't going to conferences. Right. It was sweet to do that in my own city with somebody that's that lives, it turns out, about a mile away from me. You know, coffee conversations are certainly in the in the offing sooner than later. But to make that <laughs> connection and then turn it around in a way that worked for the one of the constituencies I serve, which is the students who are looking at journalistic jobs. And I love that about are you, conference. Are you sure they just haven't been avoiding you all these years? Uh, actually, I suspect that is the case. But, you know, if she was in the room, they couldn't kick me out because I'd already paid my registration. So it's a good way to trap people, Tom. It's Wall, also, walls, are, walls are good for trapping people. I, I think that's an excellent point, Paul, about you sometimes have to, again, the virtual conference doesn't always lead itself to a canvas really hard is that close encounter with someone that from a very different stream of uh, area that you're in you know it's this journalism person she lives in san francisco that's that's your entire venn diagram is that she lives in san francisco and because you went to this conference you made this great connection that helped this other group that you were representing those people too at ucla and you could bring her knowledge and information to them. And that is one of the great things about live conferences is that stuff, is that you get to have that five-minute conversation 
Yeah, that's it. Yep, that's a great show title. That's a very positive. Virtual conferences don't have hallways. And the big, the best stuff happens in conferences and hallways. You know, something that I think we all struggle with, I am as guilty of this as anybody else, is doing the follow-up that is so essential to making that ephemeral connection turn into something meaningful. And in this case, it was lovely that we clicked right afterwards. We had a conversation. She was amenable immediately to redoing that session for another group of students. Uh, but what came out of that was when she did her session the other night for our students, one of the things that she kept saying to them is, you know, you're in Southern California and there's a lot of media up here in Northern California. Think of me as your San Francisco contact. And this wow. is not just the tagline. She said that repeatedly. She said, if you're coming up here, let me know so that I can talk to you about what the market is here. And that it goes to the heart of so much of what you've heard me talk about in terms of my board of directors work with that UCLA Daily Bruin Network, alumni mm -hmm. network. We are trying to connect students to real live opportunities, internships, as well as paid um, employment long-term, giving them professional development opportunities and mentoring opportunities. Here, Laura comes along. Right. Kind of a sidelight to this whole wonderful presentation. You know, think of me as your San Francisco contact. And my only objection here was, oh, I am too. I'll be your San Francisco contact. <laughs> you know, joking aside, it's lovely. It's the networking. It's that odd networking that you now, you know, you connected, you did the node thing. Okay, here's her network. She said, I'm going to help you because this is what I like to do, help you plug into the network up here. So let me know if you come up and, you know, we'll have a coffee. I can, introduce, I can you know, at least let you know who to talk to. And if I get to know you, I'll say, use me as a reference. You may not get the job, but at least you get that person. Maybe they can't hire you, but they know someone who's hiring in a smaller market somewhere like Marin County or some such, you know, some local paper, you can go there and work and then work your way up. At least you have a job, you'll have clippings, et cetera. She, again, so impressive in the sense that she's been in a lot of major publications, including Wired. And when she was talking to one, to one of the students in this highly interactive session, and the student was talking about what he's doing in terms of his own major at the university there in Los Angeles. She said, well, you ought to be looking at Wired. And I know people there. I thought, this is just major. This is what we all strive for at a time when people are saying how hard it is to make connections. It, it is it is hard to make connections. You're just making it easy for them to make those connections. You're you're you are you are providing the graphite to smooth their transition from school into the because this is what you do at a professional conference. I mean, you make contacts. It's literally what you do. You take pictures of name badges, you share information, you share business cards that you open up in your bag five years ago, like, oh my God, I totally forgot to contact this person. You know, you, you make those connections and you brought something up, Paul. A big thing about conferences is trying to remember to do that follow-up. You know, is I met this person, wait, I I now just jump on LinkedIn and find them on LinkedIn and say, hey, at least I have that connection with them. And then I can say, hey, you remember me from the conference? Uh, I talked to you about this for five minutes. Uh, I hope we can keep in contact. Let me know if you need any help type thing. Absolutely. Why don't we turn to Tom and talk about a little bit about the Shaping EDU conference that he went to and what, what he's doing in terms of bringing that back to the people he works with. Ooh, okay. No pressure there. Uh, no, I, I was trying not to call you by name, but you're the only Tom on the show tonight. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, it, it's funny because I, I got back from shaping EDU and then immediately got super busy on other things. And so 
uh, I'm just now coming back around to some of the stuff and things have been a little bit quiet on the shaping EDU front for the last month or so, because they're gearing up some new stuff, uh, a new community, um, on participate that's not out yet. So everything's kind of waiting for that to come to fruition, which is supposedly going to happen in the next week or two. But, um, the conference was actually quite nice. Uh, it was a nice small group. Uh, so you got to know everybody. Um, our friend Ruben did a wonderful uh, uh, presentation on uh, on jazz and technology, which was uh, his usual brilliance. Um, uh, the short version, and I'm going to, you know, Ruben will, will string me up by my short hairs for it, but uh, uh, Th he he spent a lot of time talking about uh, he, he talked about how Miles Davis uh, not only was an innovator but facilitated innovation among the musicians he played with, mm -hmm. and that he yeah. left space for people to grow, and that's the brilliance of the, and how he changed jazz, not just yeah. made jazz, and um, the the um, the thought that Same. I had coming off of it. Go ahead. Yeah. Same thing with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. The same type mm -hmm. of thing. A continuing rotating group. You learn. You compose. Okay. He literally. They both kicked you out. Okay. Go get your own damn group. You figure out your stuff. You find your muse. Right. And uh, and on the rock side, Frank Zappa was famous for doing that sort of stuff too. Yeah. Um, and being a training ground. But um, the idea, the, the, one of the nice thoughts that, that uh, came out of this was, you know, um, syncopation uh, creates space for innovation. It was, was kind of a, a phrase that I got pulled off of his talk in the sense that the spaces between the beats are where mm -hmm. the thinking occurs. And you have to create syncopation in your work to leave room for that um, unexpected for that, uh, for that, uh, that improvisation, but also improvisation is innovation. So, uh, yes, G. Oh, that's what that stands for. Yes, I always saw the, always saw the initials, and I was like, oh, this is too complicated to remember. So, uh, yeah, um, it's not I like they have fifty. Different... Point, Tom, is for all of us to really think of leaving time for that. Mm -hmm. quote-unquote mindless wandering improvisation whatever you want to call it in our work to have that right. few minutes where your brain isn't occupied with a task that's why a lot of people think of things you now i i will admit that when i'm do when i have a presentation coming up especially when i'm developing a new one i will come up with ideas in the shower while driving while waiting for my you know my grandkid to get out of somewhere that my mind is just it's free to make all those weird connections that lead to new pathways. And to be able to go, yeah. oh, that's a really great idea. I wouldn't have thought of that if I sat and did the, well, I'm going to think about this for 20 minutes time. It's I was <laughs> able to think about it because my head was free to make those neural connections, make those yeah. odd connections of this, that, and the other. And then I go, oh, that's that. That's what I can use in this. And that's why I always, I mean, when I'm out walking and I, and I walk a lot, uh, mm -hmm. I never, I don't, I don't take distractions. I don't listen to music. I don't, um, uh, you know, generally, I mean, if I use my phone, 
I'm actually writing stuff. I've written entire blogs on walks before. So, cause that's a moment when in my day when the world kind of stops for a bit and, and has, and it has to work at, at my speed. Um, the other, the other interesting thing, I led a group on, uh, learning that was supposed to be about learning spaces, but we went off in a weird direction. This is what I talked about in my blog, um, that I, that, uh, Paul sent out today. Um, but we, you know, we started out talking about, uh, because a lot of the people were teaching online. And so we were blur very much blurring the spaces for the blurring spaces. And I, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm about from, you know, physical spaces to online spaces that this, this is becoming, should become increasingly blurred and, and any attempts that we make to stop it are counterproductive. But um, I posed the question to the group that why is it that students uh, watch, uh, watch TikTok videos all the time and yet don't engage in our educational spaces? What is it that TikTok has that our educational spaces don't have and how you know how can we make uh our educational spaces more like tiktok instead of worrying about banning it right um what part of this is new to me i don't know if you're talking to me or not but uh, no okay <laughs> um so um but you know a lot of times people people started out by moaning you know students are on their phones all the time and they're looking at tiktok videos and stuff like that um, and I remember years ago when smartphones first came out and people were freaking out and complaining about having phones, you know, banning phones in classrooms and stuff like that. And my response was always, well, it's pretty clear that what you're doing in the classroom is less interesting than what's on that phone. So that, that needs to be your focus of your problem. Um, you're you're and, missing the donut for the hole. You're missing the donut for the hole. Yeah. <laughs> And and that's and that's and that's very much the case with I mean TikTok is just the latest iteration of that, right. uh, and so um, you know uh, the the other thing that uh, I mean we had a a number of instructional design folks there that were concerned that you know they have very constraining uh, class environments where they're online synchronous they cannot they're in one cases they're forbidden from having synchronous meetings with their students which i think is absolutely insane what um yeah find a new place uh, to work i'm sorry at that point you know your, your, your administration has their head up their ass it's time to go find a new place to work I, you know that's just stupid. <laughs> that's and stupid i and i got into and i got into a debate uh with a number of a number of people including this the the person that you know, not everybody is cut out for online learning in the same way. And um, most of the problems, a lot of, pro I, I encounter this a lot myself, that a lot of my students are simply not, don't know how to learn well enough to learn asynchronously online. They, mm -hmm. they, they don't know where to begin with it. They don't understand the processes. They, they're not self-motivated because they get confused and then they go, what's the point of this? This is stupid. I'm not going to do it. I'm going right. to blow it off until it's too late, blah, blah, blah. I'll come back to the class in three months and maybe it'll still be there kind of thing. Um, and uh, there was an interesting, and I'm trying to remember the name of the app. Um, there's a woman there and I'm totally... I'll look it up and, and put it in the chat in a, in a few minutes. But uh, she's developing an app, which, among other things, very much uh, focuses on 
social uh, and emotional learning uh, for students and the social network that the, that the colleges can uh, work in parallel with uh, and create environments where students can connect with each other in a, in a safe environment. Um, and it's a really great idea. Um, but the neat thing is she, you can develop your own curricula for it. And so one of the things that I was thinking about was, why don't we develop a curriculum around uh, online learning where students can uh, as, uh, assess whether they're, they're in a good place to be able to do you know, this kind of learning versus this. how can you tailor your learning experience to play to your strengths rather than your weaknesses? And, and, and that that would be something that would potentially be, or this app could be something would potentially be as, as alluring as TikTok, because the thing about TikTok is that it learns from you. It's a community. It's, 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 it's adapting itself to you. School doesn't adapt itself to you. Um, and, which, which is a big organization, uh, which is a big issue. That's a big problem. And it's also a, a way of connecting with the community because it also learns from your friends and feeds stuff back and forth. But that's the, that's the magic bullet with TikTok is it's, it's, it changes and creates a world that is created by your preferences. Right. School doesn't do that. Class do that. And learning should do that. Learning should cre allow you to create worlds that uh because that's what you're doing every student creates worlds as they go through a class uh i don't care and it's not necessarily the world the professor wants them to create uh, or the teacher wants them to create it's the experience that they have going through that class and the parts that stick with them are the parts that they create themselves so do so anyway. you think that schools would be are remiss in not offering i remember years years ago in my online learning journey I had to take essentially uh, how to use the, the virtual library class. Do you think it, it was helpful at the time, but do you think that schools are missing out on a easy, almost a shoot fish in a barrel way of helping their learners is here, this is what's expected of you to learn. You're going to learn online. Okay, these are some things you need to look out for. These are some ways you can work with the system. These are some ways to communicate. These are remember to do this. You could do it at any time, but remember you still have to do it type thing just to teach them how to learn online. Like, well, I mean, I, with, I, does your school assume yeah. that someone walks in from high school knowing how to learn online? Yeah, everybody. I mean, my, my school certainly does. And, uh, that I think there's a deeper component than simply the managing of the technical details, which are important. But I think there's also the emotional component of how to manage yourself through the course of a class, which, by the way, you need that for regular classes, too. Right. It's just easier in a regular class because you're sitting around with other people in a room or running into them in the hallway and they're going through the same way. Just like a virtual conference doesn't have hallways, a virtual college doesn't have hallways either. And that's right. been, in my mind, one of the huge the, the biggest uh um, losses with remote learning in the pandemic was we lost the hallways, not that we lost the classrooms. You can simulate the classrooms, but people felt isolated because there was no support mechanism. And you could create, I spent a lot of time trying to create these kind of spaces in my online class. Nobody mm -hmm. uses them because they're, they, no matter what you do, they're very sterile and impersonal in many ways. And you're just not going to get that same level of, of, of connection. 
um, as you would in, in, a, in a real environment. Um, Paul, I'm so, sorry. Anyway. I, I cut you off. I apologize. You were about to say something I was gonna, um, before. I was going to react to something Tom was saying and just label this as an outlier case, but it addresses in a very small way the whole thing of why can't schools or why aren't schools more adaptable to the learner's needs and, and individualizing things. I've had the very nice good fortune of in two different institutions, sitting down with an advisor before I went into their programs. These are both master's levels programs, sitting down looking over the required courses and they knew my background said, well, this is required, but you already have that, right? And I said, yes. And I said, what would you like to take in place of that? And that was a, a really nice small scale example of how somebody who cared, somebody who was a human being actually understood that I wasn't your typical student coming in, needing everything from scratch could do that. I got that at Golden Gate University here in San Francisco, and I got it again when I went to University of North Texas. And it made me stay with both those institutions because, A, I understood I had an advocate who was not going to make me waste time on what you were talking about, Boris, why take an intro to library, right? how to use a library thing when you've worked in libraries for 20 years and you use them every day. Right. And I still remember after all these years, the, the great thing that happened at Golden Gate was they had a basic HR course and I was already working at an HR office with their training, running their training program. First said, you don't need this. I said, right. She says, what do you want to take? And I looked through what they had in different departments and she wrote, signed off on my taking a collective bargaining course in the law department, which was spectacular because it was so helpful for years and years in nonprofits as well as other organizations to know that. So Plus, it really helped your Paul. baseball career. Hmm. Paul, were those advisors able to do that for everyone, or were you the exception? I suspect I was the exception for a couple of reasons, Jill. One is I don't know how they could do that with everybody, uh, what the number of people they had. But larger, the larger question was I asked the question that got that conversation going. And I know from both programs, watching the other students come in, my goals there were much different. I was not there just to get a degree. I was really there to learn things that I could apply in the direction I was going in my career. I watched that over and over, especially at University of North Texas, where there'd be these spectacular instructors doing spectacular cutting edge research. And we'd get together at lunches and stuff and they'd say, right, there's gonna be all these discussions. I would walk over to the people who had introduced their work saying, can I sit at your table for that topic that's really of interest to me? It's not going to be a table. You're going to be the only one who's interested. And that was the case. Most people were interested in just, what do I need to pass the course? What right. do I need to get past these requirements? So it really takes a shift in multiple directions in the institutions encouraging that and the learners themselves saying, I'm not just here for a damn piece of paper. So that well, reminds me of, of conferences um, where uh, most people at a conference or at a uh, a keynote or, you know, the things that we do um, as speakers, where we go, we're accessible to everyone who's there and no one will talk to us. Um, yeah, it's almost what I was just describing to you. It's not that nobody will. And, you know, we can hold on one hand, a number of people have done that. But a friend of ours, Aaron, I met Aaron because I did a presentation at an ATD conference. And afterwards, a few people came up, we chatted and Aaron was the last one in the room. He said a couple things about how he wished he could have more time to talk about that. Somebody said, you want to do lunch? And we had lunch, which led to a, an ongoing friendship. 
So it's not. And, I, and I've had that too, but that's one person in a hundred. Right. Um, I think that that's something that we could all be working on at an individual small scale level, trying to make this thing grow saying, I'm here. If you want help, we can do this and see and if I, the early adapters would then pass it on to others. You know, and I've, I've said that at events. Um, I even like before I go to an event, we'll, you know, on Twitter or whatever, say I'm coming, you know, if you see me and you want to have a conversation, grab me, let's right. have coffee. Crickets. And so I don't know why um, we're like that. And students are like that. Students will say I have pro I'm having problem with the course. They'll say it to their friends. They won't say it to the yeah. faculty member. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and you as a faculty member, you know, you're, it's, it's almost, it's, it's the, almost an indictment on what you do. If this person has a question and cause you want, you want to make sure your, your students don't have questions that you think you've explained it clearly enough that you have, don't have, maybe have questions about the material. You may have questions about application, but not necessarily about the material. And I love it when people ask me questions about stuff. It helps me. And I don't think, I think because as Tom has alluded to, as Paul alluded to, people are in the, let me GTF out of here, tell me what I need to do to pass the class, and I can move my ass on. As opposed to really wanting to learn, or to talk, yeah. or to build a connection. And it has but become... Uh, it, it's become a mill. Whatever diploma you're getting, it's it's a it's a mill. Real quick, you know, one one thing I found to be incredibly useful is having an outside a, a person and having you guys remember Alex Almestica who's been on the show before. Mm -hmm. uh, she is my digital librarian, and my students will ask her questions that they won't ask me, and so I send them her way a lot because I know they'll ask those questions of her. And then she'll get back to me and say, you know what, everybody's asking me about this. And then I can then I can address it on a broader scale if it's necessary. Um, yeah, thanks, Jill. Uh, the, the other point I wanted to make real quick. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, here we go again. Uh, is is Paul's comment about the advisor and and Jill's concern whether that's scalable. And the um, here's here's where our first topic comes back. Oh, I killed her. Uh, here's where our first topic. She, she came back. Here's where our first. She got so mad that she blipped out for a second. Um, where our first topic comes back into play, though, you know, Paul did this during the Stone Age, and uh, see, he got cut off. He froze. His audio. His audio cord went bye bye. Tom, let it be a lesson to you. Do not refer to my age in public. This will. This will happen. <laughs> I will control the internet. I will break all broadband through the entire city of Houston to stop you from making this kind of comments. Folks, you can't see this, but what's going on here is we can see each other by video chat, and Tom is frozen with his mouth half open. And I don't know if he can hear this, but it's just so much fun to tease him when he can't answer I, that. I think it's, a, it's an issue of scale. It really is scale. Yeah. It's want to and scale. Does the institution, you know, it's like a small, I want to know if a small school like Slippery Rock in got halfway up God's ass back in New York, a little tiny school, if they who have, you know, like a three to one or four to one teacher student ratio, if their advisors really work with the students to 
craft essentially a bespoke education, which is what you had, Paul. You had a bespoke education. Now, and did you have a you had a bespoke education? It would be great if every student had a chance to have a bespoke education. And that is my dream, Maurice. Instead of saying we can't do this, say how can we do this? Right. It's a why not? Why, as opposed to why, it's the why not? You remind me of back in the Stone Ages. When, ah, I'm going to um, freeze you too. Watch. <laughs> I'm not talking about your age. Back in the Stone Ages, when I would um, go to you know, check my account with the bursar's office. Kids, kids, the bursar <laughs> is a place where you pay for your college and they held your stuff hostage if you did not give them all of the money. But back in the Stone Age, I would go to the bursar's office to check my account and they would say, um, no, we don't have a check from your parents yet, but last year it came on this date. And so <laughs> we'll just assume that it's going to come on this date and you're okay, which would lead to a panic phone call from me to my parents. But, <laughs> But the grace of having it not be a computer and right. a person who could say, this is how we're going to, you know, let's just move it along. Right. And, or we'll lock you out of your classes. If you're a digital student, we'll lock you out of your classes. Yeah. You know, oh, wait, we didn't get your payment on at, at 1259, uh, at 1159 p.m. Eastern time on, you know, the 6th of April at 1201 on the 7th, you ain't got no access, which is what can happen in a, you know, an online school. Like you, it's a computer. It's like, well, I didn't receive it. You ain't getting access and it's immediate. So I want to so, change. I, can I, can I finish the point I was trying to make earlier real quick? <laughs> no. My point was <laughs> that advisor could be replaced by an AI. And we could create individualized pathways to instruction that are scalable because you don't need to pay somebody to sit there and sort through a thousand million index cards and go, Paul needs to take this, this, and this, because I know Paul and this is how he does it. And AI can actually do that. And that's where that's where I that's where we need to be looking at in terms of of redefining education because there's no reason to stick everybody in the same classes anymore. That's the point I just wanted to make. So, Thank you. Sorry, okay. I'll shut up now, now for the rest of the show. Now I'm really sorry that I froze you and took away your internet connection. In I, fact, I'll just say that AI could do that with the application, and and proactively make suggestions that might act might cause you to uh, go to that college than someone else. You know, with AI, also with job applications, you know, a lot of places oh. use AI screeners for resumes. You don't even get a look, looky-loo at a thing and if they don't spot, you know, this word next to this word near this word in your resume, which is unfair because you are, you know, you're being judged by no one who feels, and there's no context to it. It's content, but not context to it. And that's really hard. All right, Jill, by order, by order of the associate producer, you want to change the topic? Yeah, so Paul and I were talking uh, 
earlier today about tonight. And, uh, and as we often do, we started, you know, rambling on the topic. And one of the things that um, kind of rose for me is going to conferences is wonderful. We've all been to many conferences, we get things out of them. But as you uh, get much more mature, more knowledgeable in your career, sometimes conferences aren't as content rich as they were when you're younger. And so I think the question I'd like for us to spend a couple minutes minutes on is how do we get our organizations to send the people who really need to go to a conference to the conference? The, the junior people on staff, the, the newcomers, the whoever it is, um, you know, there's someone that instead of Tom going to uh, whatever it is he went to, there's probably someone else who should have gone because they would have, it would have advanced their career more than Tom's. It takes someone giving a damn about that person's development, about the organization, and willing to send someone to a thing because of it. Tom might go to that conference, using Tom as an example, is as Tom knows about the conference, he saw it in an email, he said, shoot, why not? Let me go, this is what I can learn, et cetera. Someone would have to reach out to someone and do a little bit of, hey, this is a good conference for you. That means there has to be some sort of mentoring, which Paul's doing with the people at UCLA, There has to be some mentoring and want to send these people to a conference and understand that, hey, you're at the conference, you gotta tell them, you know, the stuff in the sessions is nice, but that's really just framework. The real stuff happens in the hallways. The real stuff happens in the conversations. Talk to the person that's next. You got to teach someone. It's like teaching someone to take a class. You have to teach someone how to te do a conference. You just don't sit there and say, oh, I'm going to sit there by myself. I'm going to go to this thing. I'm going to look at these people. I'm not going to ask any questions is you talk to, hey, what are you doing? Does this make sense to you? I don't know. You free for lunch? No, and some conferences have bird of a feather tables that you go to. Go to those things, approach the speakers if you're interested in what they're doing or find out who they are because we're all librarian or librarian adjacent. You can use, you know, the internet to find someone, contact them after the conference, you know, hey, you saw this person, great. Why don't you email them? What do you mean email them? Email them. They probably in their presentation had five or 10 or 20 places that says, email me if you want to know more. Well, email them. I don't want to do that. I don't want to bother them. They want to be bothered. That's literally why they put it in there. They want to be bothered. They're passionate about it. So bother them. It takes want to. That's a, and sometimes it's financial wherewithal. I get it. But a lot of it is want to. I want to help this person succeed. I want to make this person better to both serve my library and just like Art Blake and Jazz Messengers, just like Frank Zappa, just like Miles Davis, eventually lead. And that's okay. I want to create a person. I want to give the person enough skills to leave successfully. You know, and I, that's I, what people are afraid of. I've got a really nice example from San Francisco Public Library from the years I was there that respond a little bit to what Joe was saying. And that's how do you get people to go to those things? We had two separate committees that were in charge of dispersing funds for people that wanted to go to conferences that they might not otherwise be able to go to. 
they were part of the training budgets, but these were committees that were in place long before I got there, so no credit to me. It really helped. If people wanted to go to something that was out of their reach normally, all they had to do was come to me or come to the other people in the committee and say, can I get a proposal into you? And we funded an incredible number of people right. doing those things. But I think I think there needs to be something, maybe from the conferences, from the associations, from whomever, to kind of prompt the, um, you know, it's great that you, director, come to this conference, but maybe we give you a discounted ticket, heaven forbid, uh, to bring <laughs> a... You cackle wildly, but at the conference mm -hmm. I went to, you, I, you know why I, cackle wildly? I watched the executive director at a small discussion with some students, including a high school student, talking about an upcoming upcoming conference that was coming. They were all amazed this high school student was at the table with us because it was billed as a collegiate press conference. But this mm -hmm. high school kid was hot, really on it, really mm -hmm. nice, and really obviously interested. The executive director asked across the table in front of about 10 of us, do you know we're doing a high school conference like this three weeks from now in San Francisco? He said, no. He said, would you like to go? And he said, well, if I could. And she said, contact me afterwards. Here's my email. We're back to, here's my email address. I've got positions where you can come in and have your registration comped if you will volunteer for one day at the conference. That's the sort of thing that Jill's talking about. We need to encourage right. that. But I love the executive director for having opened that opportunity in the moment for that student. The reason I cackle is yes. you know it would be great to have it's like a companion fair okay you come it's one and then you know get someone in for 50 percent off because a lot of times and we're going to talk about the very extremely 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 large library association you don't pay your damn presenters you know yes it's part of the profession but you know what you don't pay your damn presenters and you should okay sorry you should you should at least give them something at least comp them the cost of the conference at minimum, but they don't. And that is a tragic thing. Now with computers and libraries, I, I, that's why I, I, I volunteered to moderate. They needed someone, I called the conference person and said, hey, I'm going to moderate because you get comp for the conference. It's a minimal thing to do. It's nice It's it, because it's I'm not getting paid to do it, but I at least get comp to be able to come to the conference. That saves me some cash. And I, and I met a couple of people there at the conference. Um, but yeah, that's the great thing. It would be great if larger conferences would do that. But what I was really cackling about is most of the time at conferences, the badge is not to get into the sessions. The badge is to get into the exhibits. That's the only place they have guards is at the exhibits. Everywhere else, you can just wander in. That's So folks out there. If you find out a conference is going on near you, grab a badge from a colleague that's approximating what you think the badge of the place is going to be, and you can get into the sessions for free. It's really about getting into exhibits because that's the only place they ever have guards. Are we talking about exhibit. vendor exhibits? Yes. At the vendor well, exhibits. That's the last the place I want to go half the time guards. anyway. I get that. But that's the place where they always have guards. Checking your badge. Making sure your badge. Then what about the actual stuff? No, the only place you care about is where they're selling things, which is just bizarre. It's so bizarre. You would think that the vendors would be free and that you got to have the badge to get into where the, the action is in the hallways, et cetera. But nope. Maurice, at some conferences, though, and I think it's more the convention center than the conference, mm -hmm. uh, I've seen them um, 
look for badges everywhere. That that's okay though. That's fine. And but it's the ones that they did literally where it's I'm walking in the hallways. I had a badge. It doesn't have displayed. And rarely do they ask. Like, okay, in DC they do to get into the conference center. You need a badge, but they're not checking to see if it's this year's. There's like some stuff hanging around your neck. Flip it around. Yeah. You know, and and yeah, you're fine. Sorry, I, this is like guerrilla conferencing, but it's the truth. But you know, I think um, so. Going back to the like two for one, or you know, pay one get five right. free. The companion fair. The companion fair for a conference. I think that is um, that's something conferences should think about doing. You know, all the major conferences. I think have been shrinking for a long time. Uh -huh. You could prove me wrong. And how do you get people to buy into that conference to say, yes, I'm right. going to pay for that conference year after year after year, right. maybe out of my own pocket, start them off with a companion fair, um, maybe for a couple of years, get them hooked, get them on a committee, get them doing whatever, get them as a presenter, right. you know, um, and get the people who really could benefit from the content right. rather than people who I shall not name, who, um, you know, it's their 50th conference. They don't, oh. need, it. They don't need it as much. <laughs> they don't need to go. And, you know, Tom, in your case for South by Southwest, I believe they still, at least uh, before the pandemic, they were doing scholarships for people in like e uh, South by Southwest EDU. They would do scholarships. So you could apply and say, hey, I'm with the learn institution here, you know, I'd like to do it. Or you could go in as, in your case, as maybe a media member, you know, say you have something, you're, you, you're, you're, you literally talk about media all the time. But that yeah. conference, South by Southwest itself is incredibly expensive. You know, the non, yeah, the no, non but even the, even one. the, I don't, I don't care about the big conference, but even the EDU one is pretty, I believe it was like 500 crazy. bucks. Those 500 bucks. No, no, it's is like it 1100 bucks. It's over a thousand. That's, that's just obscene. I've cons I mean, I went there once, but somebody else paid for it. See, that's um, obscene. And I could, and I have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm two hours from Austin or two and a half hours from Austin. And, I have many friends who live there who would let me crash on their couch. So I could actually go to that conference pretty cheaply if I wanted to. But whatever. You could just go hang in the periphery. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm just going to hang in the general area of the South by Southwest Conference. So yeah. I think that's a great idea, Joe. Now, it, in turn, but I would say from the conference point of view, well, that's how we make our association money. We have to survive an association because it's part of our job to survive as an association. Now that there's that, you know, that's of where course. Something... Does that really apply to something like South by Southwest? I don't know. No, that's just a straight up money making venture. I mean, that's just, they're just straight yeah. straight up minting cash. They're doing Disney. Yeah. They're literally doing Disney. Here, yeah. you have this choice. If you want all this stuff, you pay all this money. But I don't want to do all of it. We don't care. If you take any of it, you're gonna you're gonna pay this. And the other but I bet you go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. sorry, the other option worth mentioning is um um uh, uh to to be the oh, I can't even think of the name. Uh the, the conference in the lounge, the conference in the 
the lobby, conference the, or the lobby, lobby con, con. The lobby, lobby con. con. It's it's the lobby con. Um, yep. Our our friend Andrea Snyder lobby con at Nyla last year. Yep. She went for a meeting. I mean, it was a, a long drive for her, but she went for a specific meeting that she had to be at, and then she lobby conned. That's the way to do it. I, at a lot of conferences, it is the way to do it. You don't have to be in the official space of being just in the hotel lounge, and you see people or meet people, et cetera. I kind of did that with ALA. I is that a con game? No, no, no. It's, it's that- well, so it, at least in library land. He's making a joke. You know he's making know. a joke. I know he's making a joke. I'm just ignoring the joke. At least in library land, the, it, we had we had uh, lobby con and carpet con because that's where your butt was. So you carpet con. You, you, you sat you sat on the floor at the, the Hyatt, and that's where you had your conference. You were there for six hours. Your butt hurt, but you learned so much more, and you met a bunch of people who came through. The Hyatt, by the way. Good. The Hyatt, by the way, the one year I think. Uh, decided that maybe they weren't so happy with the rowdy librarians and so they took out the furniture, which is what led to carpet. Con. Yes, they did. Yep. They took out the furniture. <laughs> I was at a conference once that they, that they did that. They did that. They took out the furniture in the hallways. And I was like, we, are you guys kidding me? We, I gave them so, so much crap for that. Oh my God. Uh, at the, at the Hinkley Hilton. The library, the, the, the CIL folks were so loud. They turned off the fire pits to try to get us to go inside because it was cold. So they turned off the fire pits, took away the cushions outside. And yet people somehow still sat on those hard ass benches and still had conversations in the cold. We were too, they were too loud. We were too loud. The people were trying well, to sleep in D.C. So this, this goes this this goes back to what is what exactly are you paying for in the conference and um to me the reason i always went to the new media consortium conference was not because of the content necessarily although there was some good content there but it was because of the crowd it was because of the people that i got to sit and talk to and uh and and have those conversations with and um and it's like that by the way this is a universal thing it's like this in school Think about, think hard about what do you actually remember from your college days? You remember sitting around the student union and hanging out with your friends and, and talking about, or, or, you know, doing, maybe talking about, you know, scholarly academic things, maybe, maybe not, but you know, that's what you remember. You don't remember the content of any specific course. I remember very few presentations from conferences that I've been to over the years. Um, There are a few. Jim Groom setting the audience on fire with a flamethrower was was definitely memorable, but uh, um, it was a virtual conference. It was in Second Life, uh, but I was like, "This is brilliant because you can't do that in a real conference and not go to jail." <laughs> you know, but that's you know, but that's what the thing is. It, think about what people remember from. I mean, a class is like a conference presentation. It's just it, it's just repeated, right, and vice you know- versa. You know, Tom, here's the thing with the conference. You can't sell personality. You can't sell access. Right, I know. You can't sell carpet con. You have to sell the people who pay for stuff, whether it's the organization Mm -hmm. director or the auditor. Why did you send this person to Orlando for four days? I sent them to meet people. 
Yep. That does not fly. Jill, your story, please. So many years ago, when uh, LobbyCon and these different unconferences were a big thing, a group of us tried to figure out how, where we could meet to um, have a unconference in an airport. And this was a serious conversation for a while um, on whatever thing we were using um, at the time, Wiki or whatever it was. Like, which airport in the nation could we fly into that had good outlets and, and good Wi-Fi? And people were, like, naming airports and terminals, like the terminal, you know, whatever. And so you just reminded me of that there's ways of doing this that don't require a formal conference. But you have to be motivated. We never did it. But you have to be motivated, and it may still cost some money. And that is something that's easier to do in a virtual space. It is simply easy. That is something that's easier to do virtually, is to just have someplace we all meet up, et cetera. I, I think, especially post in a post-9-11 world, you know, trying to get everyone in and out, as Tom said in chat, you know, and security would bust a flash mob. You know, they, they would bust you up. What are you all the people meeting here at the same time for? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Something's going on here. What's going on here? What's going on here? Why aren't you people getting on your planes? Like Denver. Denver being like a Stapleton Airport would be great. It has a bajillion bits of space, lots of Wi-Fi, but they expect you to move along. And if you ain't moving along, you is a problem. <laughs> all right. With that, it is time to, oh, wow, it's after 10 o'clock. Look at that. Time flies when you're having fun. All right. So uh, the name of the show was originally going to be My Ass is in Hawk. But I actually like We Lost the Hallways. I like that one. We Lost the Hallways. So teaser training episode number 333. The name of the show is We Lost the Hallways. And i like to say thank you to Jill. Paul, Tom, and Diane, who had to go to a, an author thing, which I'm sure has lots of loads of fun. And then with that, thank you. Join us in two weeks on the, I can almost do this math, the 20th of April for episode number 334 of the Library Training Podcast. He's training. You can find us on www.teasertraining.wordpress.com. Find me at colemanassociates.net. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Good luck. Bye-bye. Bye, Bonds. And, you know, the struggle continues. Good night, everyone. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.